I'm excited to share and continue this journey of the book of James with you. And we need to recap because we had that awesome movie last week. And I know that even three days later, we struggle to just remember the context of where we were. So let me recap this. The book of James is a, in your Facebook. It's a, not a Facebook, it's in your Facebook. All right, we can create a page like that for James. Shame. You know, he's a guy that got in your face and he almost basically meddled in your life. He's the guy that called a spade a spade. Leon, as I, as I think your Jeep is lelik, I see what you said, your Jeep is lelik. He's that guy, not that your Jeep is lelik, okay, so all is all right. But he's that guy that will get in your face, he will be personal, but every intention of his heart was based upon the Word of God and the teaching of Christ. Now, we did tell you this, that James, from the beginning, grew up with Jesus in the same household. They were brothers, and he never believed in Jesus as the Savior of the world and the Savior which will die on a cross and rise from the dead. He, was, he didn't believe that his own brother is that Savior. And for his whole life, as he grew up, he realized that um, it's just my brother. But then there's a day where Jesus is crucified. He died. He rose again. And then Jesus appeared to James face to face and then James's whole life changed. You see, and then 47 years after this whole moment of and life and experience of James, he comes and he writes this book, the book of James. But you see the, the foundation of the book of James, the experience of James himself was a black and white experience. It's a moment where yes is yes and no is no. And that's the book of James. So we stood still with the first chapter in the book of James. So James 1. You see, James 1 was written and he said, listen, listen church. He didn't write to the unbelieving people of the day. He wrote to the church of that day. And then he said, listen church, you believers, get this. You've got to stand firm in your trials. So he wrote that first chapter. And then we said, like this piano, sometimes there's a mountain in front of us, and we want to go around it. There's trials and tests and tribulations in our lives, and we want to avoid many of those. But you see, James writes this first chapter in this book, and he says, listen, the Father I know in heaven, the Jesus I know as a brother, but as a Savior as well, wants to grow you and taste you and strengthen you to go from, guess what, an infant Christian to a mature Christian. And he does it by trials, tribulations, and problems in your life. But you and I, when we see danger, when we see something that we do not like, when it's out of the comfort zone and God wants to take us through it, we want to go around it. And then James says, dude, if you want to mature as a Christian, be honest with your experience. Be honest with your experience. If there's difficult times, there's difficult times. If there's a difficult period in your marriage at the moment, then be real in that moment. But involve Christ in that. And James wrote that book. He said, stand firm in your tasting, but endure your tasting. For through being in that moment and enduring that testing and trial and going through it, you will grow and become a mature follower of Christ. But he didn't stop there. He's still throwing out information. So he writes the second chapter. 
James 2. He's like, hey, I've got more to say. Then he says, you know when there's trials and testing and, and your life just happens, there's more to it than just going through it. You need two things. You need to have deeds and actions, and you need faith that accompanies that. And then he wrote this book, and he said, listen, you people... You easily say that, I have faith. I am so, uh, such a faithful person. Oh, my faith is so big. Oh, by faith, I will buy myself a bike helmet, and the bike will just follow by faith. And then he says, that's great news. But it's dead religion if the faith is not backed with action. So he writes this book, and he says, listen, if you truly want to be a mature Christian, you need to go through the tasting and trials in deeds and in faith. Like Abraham, the father of faith. You and I need to know that in this day, James did not want to offend people so that he creates enemies. He wanted to offend people so that the kingdom of God grows. I've got to get this. You see, because the truth of his book and the truth of him writing those two chapters is the same truth that Jesus is speaking into the church weekly. He wants to challenge your heart, your personality, who you became over the years. He wants you almost to feel offense in your heart by feeling the conviction of the Spirit because the conviction will change you if you listen. If you are serious about faith and deeds, then through the conviction, the things that make you uncomfortable, the moments you know you were wrong, those trials and testing when you go through it in faith, you know, the fence changes to growth. When someone tells you something in the future, you will not be as easily offended because you grew in your spirit. You matured. And then we started off with James 3, and we mentioned some facts and some uh, pictures which James used to explain the third sign of spiritual maturity. But you see, in James 3, the mood swings and shifts. He goes from giving advice and leading with direction and just throwing info on the table. He goes from that moment to meddling with your personal life and you. You know, he reaches a spot or he touches that button that brings reaction, and it's mostly defensive reaction. He then says, listen, the third sign of maturity and being a Christian that is matured in the, in the spirit is a person who can tame their tongue. So let me ask you this. Some of you might go, yeah, I've read this. Some of you might have gone just now like, oh, yeah, we have mentioned this two weeks ago. Why again? Let me ask you, in the last 17 days, in the last 30 days, in the last three days, did you tame your tongue in every moment? Or did you fall and did you fail in taming your tongue, in keeping control over the things you say and how you say it? Because the truth is, James wrote this chapter to the believing followers of Christ. And he said, again, I say, you've got to tame your tongue if you are a spiritual, mature follower of Christ. And then he includes himself in, in James 3. And he says, for we cannot tame our tongue. He includes himself. 
And then he adds that we are weak. He adds that we will fail. He adds that we need to become perfect. But in that moment when he says perfect, it's not being without sin. It's maturing in the Spirit. See, when you mature in the Spirit, there's moments, and a lot of people say, yeah, the old people, you know what? They have life experience, and through the life experience, going through the trials, they cultivated a faith, and in the faith and the following of Christ, wisdom became their part, and you'll see they are not easily angered. They do not speak as quickly and witty as a 12-year-old, a 16-year-old, and an 18-year-old. Why? They've learned the lessons. If I keep my mouth shut right now, the consequences will not be this and this. But if I speak out now, this will explode like atom bombs down the line. It's life experience. It's maturity in the spirit. It's learning from the books of the Bible like the book of James. See, in this day, I want to read with you James 3. So get your Bibles, get your phones, James 3. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. It's a new translation. It's, and let me just teach you in this as well. It's good to read different translations in the Word of God, like the Passion Translation. But what I want to encourage you to do is always read it in the King James or New King James first. Then you read the different translations, and you will pick up where it almost says it a bit differently, and it loses the impact of the moment. So always study it in that way. So the Passion Translation, James 3, verse 1 and onwards. My dear brothers and sisters, so the church, don't be so eager to become a teacher in the church, since you know that we who teach are held to a higher standard of judgment. We all fall in many areas, but especially with our words. So here's the thing. I can speak from this. Today, you teach, you speak, everyone is hallelujah, good preaching, awesome sermon, it touched my heart. Until next week, you say something and people take offense and then they hate you. The same people who praised your sermon or the message shared last week is the next same people that will hate you later on. That's why he says you've got to be careful if you want to have a title. You want to have a moment where people look at you and uh, they almost place you on a pedestal in a sense. So this is the, the atmosphere. This is the context in which James, James writes this book. Then he says, yet if we're able to brindle the words we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. And that means our character is mature and fully developed. You see, in this moment, he says, if you can tame your tongue, you will grow spiritually. You will mature in Christ if you can hold back from just saying what you want to say. Just letting words flow from your heart. Yes, but I'm angry. I want to shout at her. No, tame your tongue. You see, you become a fool when you read Proverbs. When you lose control, Proverbs says you become a fool. When you speak and you're easily tempered and you're easily angered and you react upon it, you become a fool in this life. Do you know people like that? They're angry at everything the whole time. Always negative. Always shouting at something. Dude, there's a time in your life where you go like, yes, you're so stupid. You, you actually irritate me. Do you know people like that? 
Why? Because the Word of God teaches that if that is you and that's your lifestyle, you will be seen as a fool. You will irritate people and they don't want to hang with you. It's as easy as that. But if you want to mature in your character as a Christian, as a follower, as a child of God, then tame your tongue. Verse 3, and then we said, horses have bits and brindles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large bodies. So that was the last sermon we did. We shared that, that moment with a bit in the mouth of a horse. Verse 4, and the same with mighty ships, though they are massive and driven by the fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. And so the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it carries great power. Just think of how a small flame can set a huge forest ablaze. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness. Those who game, you know, if you're a gamer, many Warcraft and all that stuff, it's like war all the time on that PC screen, man. That is literally what's happening in your mouth. Your tongue is like a game where it's war all the time and the ogres and all come in and they just battle it out for the sake of this countryside. Your tongue is like a world full of wickedness. What's within your mouth is like a world of wickedness. Now, this is the part where when you sit there and you read this for yourself and you go like, yes, like that, it, you know, you almost cringe when you hear this. It's, it's almost offensive. How can you say there's wickedness in my mouth? Yeah, yeah, down boy. You see, the anger you experience already is part of your problem of the wickedness in your mouth. We'll get there now, but that's part of your problem. It's the tongue. It goes on, for every wild animal on earth, including birds, creeping reptiles, and creatures of the sea and the land have all been overpowered and tamed by humans. So here's the thing about me. I want a lacquer house with a nice garden. And then when people knock there and they just want to cause havoc or just want to irritate you, you know, you get some of those people. I want to call Fluffy around the corner. Now, Fluffy will be my crocodile pet, but I want a huge crocodile, like huge, like four meters. Then, if they don't want to leave, I'm going to call Fluffy, and Fluffy will come around the corner, and when they see Fluffy, it's not a poodle, it's a croc. And they will run away. You see, I want to tame that croc. I want to, I want to make that croc my pet. It's going to be my friend. Hello, Fluffy. Feed him goldfish. and I want that. You see, throughout humanity and throughout the history of humanity, mankind empowered and tamed many animals, including crocs. You see, it's spoken. Even wild animals can be tamed. And then it says, but the tongue is not able to be tamed. You might think I'm awesome when you have a fluffy croc and you, you treated that croc since baby and you tamed it and you, you uh, taught it tricks and all the stuff and he knows his name and it catches goldfish three meters in the air and all that. It's awesome. You're not as powerful as you might feel the moment you call fluffy and fluffy comes your way and you're like, yeah, check what I taught this croc. 
Because the Word of God says that even though you might feel powerful by taming the wild animals like crocodiles and dolphins and all that, you cannot even tame your own tongue. Something you have control over, you cannot even tame that. So how powerful are you truly? How great are you truly? How awesome are you truly? And that's why James kicked it off with, be careful to call yourselves rabbis and teachers. Be careful to sit yourself in the middle of the crowd to speak and teach. Because I tell you, even though you feel so powerful and mighty and you have the status of a rabbi and a pastor and a leader, you are flawed in the way your tongue works. You're just as wicked as the guy in front of you and next to you and the guy behind you. You see, you might have tamed the knowledge of having knowledge in your heart, having knowledge of Christ in your mind. But if your tongue is not tamed, you are flawed and you are sinful. Be careful to chase after the status. See, in James's day, Many of the people were self-proclaimed teachers, pastors, preachers. And therefore, this book was written, be careful. For there's one teacher, and we all yet serve. See, a lot of people in the day made it about the power of themselves, yet you are flawed. You might know more because you read more. You might know more because you had the privilege to go study. You might have more life experience. You might see yourself in a better space than many other people, and you're higher than those around you. But James is saying, listen, if we want to be real about your life, you are a failure because of your tongue. That's hardcore. He's preaching this to a church, church like this, like us. He's saying, listen, dude, you nothing, because he's evil in your mouth. And then he carries on. But the tongue is not able to be tamed. It's fickle, unrestrained evil that spews out words full of toxic poison. We use our tongue to praise God our Father and then turn around and curse a person who was made in this very image. Verse 10. Out of the same mouth, we pour out words of praise one minute and curses the next. So you can take Sundays as a good example. You might come in and you praise God and you sing that song and you amen on the message and you just feel it. And then when you get in the car, you have this family conversation of, Yes, you have Sunny gesien. Sunny has now a lelike skoon on God. Yes, and I'm rock so fat. Yeah. James is writing about that very moment where your heart shifts. And because your heart shifts, your tongue follows, and what your tongue speaks has power. That is what he's saying. Out of that same mouth, you just praise God. The next minute, you curse. And then it says, and this is scary, my brothers and sisters, this should never be. I ask again, have you failed in your tongue in the last two weeks? Have you failed in the things you said? Have you failed in the thoughts that led to words and actions? Because it should never happen. There's a different scripture or different translation that says you praise God and you curse people. The very people created in the image of God. That's hardcore. 
What James is trying to say is the moment you speak against those people with the same tongue you praise God, you're actually cursing God Himself because they are created in His image. That's hardcore. But that's James. James is like, if you want to grow and you want to mature in the Spirit, then tame your tongue and withhold it from moments where you rather not curse people but praise God. Sie sien nou enkels raak vet, gaan liever sere, dankie vir my din enkels. Rather praise God in the moment, tame your tongue, guide your heart like that boat with the rudder. Determine the end result. Determine the island you will end at. Determine your, your goal by withholding and directing. That's what James is saying. So he says, does a fig tree produce olives or grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. What James is getting to is like, most people and all people, and he included himself, have a problem with their tongues. There's a world of wickedness, wickedness within our mouths, and the tongue we cannot easily tame. Yes, you can tame a crocodile and an elephant and an, even a lion, but you cannot tame this very tongue. Yet James is saying, tame the tongue. Now, I know you might sit like I did for many hours, and I went like, how can this guy write, tame your tongue? And then he literally says, you cannot tame your tongue. So what do you want, James? And then I go like, well, James is kind of dead anyway. So, Lord, what do you want? Because you say I'm flawed as a human being. You want me to tame my tongue and what I say. And then you say, well, you cannot tame it. So I feel like, why care then anyways? Because, Lord, if you know I'm going to fail in this, if you know I, I will not use the bit and the rudder, if you know I'm not careful for the fire of my tongue, then why try anyways? For you just said, Lord, I cannot tame it. I'm going to teach you on this day four truths. Four truth, truths about what James just wrote. You see, the first thing that you and I need to know is Proverbs 18 verse 21. Proverbs 18 verse 21 that says death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it and indulge in it and get this will eat its fruit and then bear the consequences thereof. So whatever you say is either life or death and either way there's consequences. That's what James is getting to. So let me take you back to Genesis 1. You see, in Genesis 1, there's a moment where God the Father said, let's create. He said this. He spoke it. And the, the desire is captured. But the desire was for eternal life. The desire was for life in His presence. It was life to bring forth. And then God spoke. See, Genesis 1 verse 3 and onwards. Then God said, let there be light. And guess what? And there was light. Through what he said, he spoke into existence. You've got to get this. This is hardcore stuff. Because God said, he spoke into existence light. He didn't smack something. He didn't use his hands. He didn't command no angel. He spoke and life was created. So he spoke into life. Then God said, let there be a ferment in the midst of the water and let it divide the waters from the waters. And so it happened. God said, 
And God said, let the waters under the heavens, and then sow the waters under the heavens. God spoke. Why? Because Proverbs captures the truth of the moment that in your words there's life or death, and the consequences will follow either way. Yeah, my life sucks. Yes, the consequences will be your life sucks. Yeah, but I, you know, I'm, I'm literally, I'm just literally a ball of depression and I will never change. You just captured that death over yourself. And the more you say it, the more true it will become in your life, your heart, your thoughts. It's a heart decision. It's a heart matter of the heart. It's what's within you that matters because what's within you will flow from your mouth. Proverbs. God knew this. Let me, let me show you that in Genesis 2, something awesome happened. See, because God's spoken life existed. He gave this very power to mankind as well. In Genesis, in the beginning, he said this. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. And he get this. He, God, brought them to the man to see what he would name each one. God created all animals. And then the word teaches in Genesis 2 that he took all the animals to man. Humanity, mankind, Adam, the first human. He brought it to them to see what the man will speak over the animal. If you ever read it like that, carries on. And whatever man called each living creature, that was its name. Adam spoke a name over an animal in the beginning of creation, in the presence of God, because God himself gave the spoken word of life to mankind, humanity. And because Adam used it wisely, you and I call those very animals those very names in this day. Now you go like, yeah, but dude, just, just a moment. These animals that they only discovered recently, what about those animals? Well, here's one of those animals. In 2015, they found this little guy, guess where? In the middle of a volcano. Many puddles of water, and in those puddles, they found a variety of newly discovered fish, and this is one of them. It's pretty, right? That's like, let's go on a date pretty. That is awesome. And then, when they found this animal... You know what mankind, humans, you and I, mankind, you know what they did? They spoke a name over the new animal. It's the same truth. It's the same promise. It's the same power as that which Adam had in the garden when he spoke into existence, when he spoke into life a name over an animal. Guess the name of this poor little thingy. The scaleless Blackfish, poor guy. You see, Proverbs says, in the tongue there's life and death and there's consequences both ways. The poor consequences for this fish is you've got a sucky name for the rest of your life. But there's consequences spoken. 
for the rest of humanity in the history that will go down still, his name is captured. Why? Because humanity, mankind, took the power of words given in Genesis over humanity to speak into existence a name over an animal. And that's just one example. You see, your words have power. Every word you speak will have consequence. Like this poor dude with his name. You know, call him, I don't know, Daisy. At least his name is pretty. But the consequence. I ask again in the last two weeks, what have you said? What have you done that will have consequences in your days to come? Because if you call someone out, and you tell them in their face, you are an idiot, and I don't even want to speak to you, and you're so angry, the words can't even come out of your mouth. That whole body movement, that whole demeanor, that whole moment, every word spoken will break down in the relationship, and the consequence will follow. Do that over and over, over years. I promise you resentment will fill the house, the relationship, and you don't even want to see each other. Hate fills that moment when someone comes to you and says, listen, so, so you, do you still love Yaku? Your response will be, I don't care if they even die. I'll be happy if they die. You see, because the words spoken in that very first fight, the words spoken in that very first moment grew to a next moment and a next moment, and you did not realize that life and death is in your mouth. You killed that relationship. You see, but faith, James 2. Just a moment ago, James said, you need faith. You've got to, through faith, speak the life into the things you see. Got to get this. When you see that it's going downhill, by faith you shift it. When you see it's breaking up, by faith you shift it. When you see it's hurt and pain every day and there's, there's a moment of being depressed almost in your life, don't look at what you see, but by faith shift it. Speak life. You know what? It's a beautiful day. Your mind tells you, no, it's Monday. Everyone tells you Monday is a bad day. Oh, Friday the 13th. Oh, it's a bad day. Let me tell you, it's in a moment like that where you realize what I see is not the truth. And faith, I will change this moment and I will speak the truth. And the truth says that I can be prosperous. I can be blessed. I can be an heir in the kingdom of God in this day for this greatness planned in my life. And you speak the life. And guess what? The consequences will follow. What you just spoke will come into reality. See, a part of, of the sermon, the previous one, is actually Abraham. Where God said, take your son and sacrifice your son. Go kill your son for me, your only son, the son you love. That son that I gave, kill your son on an altar. And then Abraham took the donkey and he prepared the altar and the fire and everything. And as they walked, his own son to be the sacrifice. That son says, Dad, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? Do you know what Abraham answered his own son? 
He didn't look at the reality. He didn't go like, you are the sacrifice. He didn't go like crying and breaking down. You will be killed in the next few minutes. He didn't go at what he saw. But in faith, he said, God will provide. Whoa. He knew what God said, right? It's like Satan and Stone kind of said, when God speaks, God speaks. He could have gone, you know what, God said this, I wash my hands, but I'm going to do what God wants me to do. No, he answered and said, by faith, God will provide. You see, he took that moment. And he knew that the consequences of the words which he will speak in this moment will follow. And therefore, he changed it. In his heart as a father, I think he didn't want to do it at all. But in the faith and obedience in Christ, he followed through. But in his heart, he was a dad killing your own son. And then he decided, no, I'm going to shift this. For life and death is in my tongue. For I will not flow into the wickedness that might be there. I will speak life. I will speak God. I will speak like a true follower of Christ. And he called into that moment the faithfulness and grace and love of God by saying, God will provide. I ask again, in the last seven days, in the last 14 days, in the last month, did you rather speak the wickedness of the enemy or did you speak the life into a moment so that it shifts? We practice this. My wife is not always happy about it. I'm not always happy about it. You know, because you have bad days. It's a bad day at work. Then you get home and you're like just down and out. I don't want to hear anything. Nothing will ever change. I'm going to lose my job. And I'm that guy that often go like, no, it won't. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. God's going to provide. And then I walk away with a smile, but I know she wants to throw me with a knife. She's going to get me somewhere. She's going to drown me in the bath. Because we feel what we feel. We experience what we experience. But I tell you, it's a difficult discipline to take and make a part of your moment. To change that, what you see and experience, into the faith side of what it can be. I mean, Michael, you said I'm ugly, and then you started changing it. And now you're pretty, man. Good job. Well done. The way you speak is the way you'll see yourself. Got to think about that. There's a difference between being humble in a moment and then a moment where you are breaking yourself down, where there's a lack of self-belief where there's no understanding of your identity in Christ, where you do, maybe you lost the value given unto you by God himself. And then you start speaking things that's not accurate, but you start living that way. Ne- I can never run this race. I tell you, I've ran so many races like a freaking clown in my life. I was the ent- entertainment of that very moment to thousands of people. But you know what? I did it because it was fun. I did it because it's me. Well, why not? Let's run this race. If I fall, I fall. Rather seize the moment and speak life into it than going around your trial and testing and not growing in that. Because what I learned in various moments like those was when you fall, 
you know that moment, you're on a skateboard, you walk in the mall, you get out of your car and you fall, the first thing you do is you get up and look around who saw you. I'm that guy that when I fall, I go like, yeah, yeah, you claim it. And what I've learned throughout life, the moment I'm like, yes, dude, I was just the stupidest person in this whole parking lot. There's people that can identify. There's people that feel they can approach you. Why? You've been real and truthful. You rather took the challenge and you walked through it than avoiding it. See, James is writing that. So there's four truths, just quickly. If you want to grow in maturity in the spirit, if you want to tame your tongue, if you want to tame like the wild animals your tongue, if you want to grow in that, you need to practice these four things. The first thing is, we must recognize that we will be held accountable for what we say. You see, there's scripture in the Word of God where it clearly states and it clearly leads that every careless word you and I speak and, and let flow from a mouse, we will take accountability for that. Matthew 12, verse 36. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. Guess who said this? Jesus himself. No person. You cannot go, oh, James wrote it, so maybe he misunderstood the Spirit of God. No, Jesus himself said this. You've got to study this. The second thing you need to get, I want to say, active and activate in your life is this. We must recognize its power for good or for evil. That life and death is in your tongue. You've got to recognize that there's power in your words. That is what James says. When you recognize and realize the power of your words, you will shift and change the way you speak. Just look at your life. How many times did you say things and it actually happened? It's, it's scary. But when you realize that I actually spoke those things and it, it actually happened, you will change the way you speak tomorrow. You don't want that to happen again. You don't want to go through that again. So recognize the power of good and evil, of life and death. Thirdly, we must recognize that is a, hum, a humanly untamable source of terrible evil. Your tongue cannot be tamed by you. That is what James said. That's what I believe because we all fail in what we say. But then he writes that through the Spirit, through God, your tongue can be tamed. Do not be quick to anger. Do not be quick to speak. Do not be quick to uh, lose your temper. Do not be quick to react. It's verses in the Word of God which comes up over and over and over. He's saying that you and I need to be led by the Spirit of God. Before we speak, we breathe and we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Before you type and send, we should think about this and we all fail. Before we react, we are supposed to take one step back and say, Holy Spirit, what's going on? Should I or shouldn't I? Because I tell you, some of the greatest, awesomest, most godly moments in my life was the moments where I kept quiet. If you've never experienced that, try and shut up a bit. Because I tell you, when you become still, you will know that He is God. 
And then lastly, we must recognize that is an um, inconsistency rooted in a source. What James is saying is that what flows from your mouth is sourced from your heart. But the heart is if you truly hate, hate will flow. If you truly gave up, it will be confessed. Who you are will flow from your mouth. But here's the moment of hope. In and through God, in and through Christ, His Word is alive. And the more you study His Word, the more you will speak His Word. And when you speak the truth, the truth will set free from the evilness and the wickedness of your words already spoken. Because I tell you, it's not a hopeless moment that you lost control over your tongue. Don't go and like, yeah, I, I told my spouse, oh, I hope you die and now he's going to die. No, in Christ, when you repent of that moment and you truly seek the Spirit of God, God will cover in His love and grace that moment where you spoke things that should not have been spoken and He will cut it off and He will set you free. I'm a loser. No, you're not a loser. You created in the image of God. Yeah, but I failed everything. Awesome. Go through the failures. Go through your testing with faith and speak life into your future and it will change. I'm the guy that failed so many tests. Jog the scary that I've ooit geslag het. People like, how do you know there's a God? Well, dude, I've, I've, I've passed my matric. And my degree, there is a God in heaven. You've got to speak life. You've got to speak what you know. And therefore, I think it's time that you start studying the word of God and speak that. Don't be unwise. Don't say things that, that you want to try and be clever like the teachers, self-proclaimed teachers where this book started. A lot of people want to sound clever and intelligent and place themselves on a pedestal and on a stage. No, sometimes the best thing you can do is say, I don't know, but let me go and do some research. Let's study the word. Let's see what God says. That's a good question. Let's grow in this together. Don't try and be clever. Because what you say has power. You might give bad advice and those people implement that bad advice in their lives and someone might die. It started with you. There's a scripture I want you to write down. You need to go study this. You need to get this word embedded in your heart. You need to know this scripture off by heart. Ephesians 4 verse 29, today's date. Ephesians 4 verse 29. And the Amplified Bible says, Do not let unwholesome, that is foul, profane, worthless, and vulgar words ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech that is good for building up others according to the need and the occasion, so that it, so that it will be a blessing to those who hear it you speak. saying that every word should be a blessing to those around you. Let no vulgar, let no evil, let no wickedness come from your mouth. Let nothing flow from your lips that is not godly. 
So why the scripture? If you know the scripture, I want to tell you, you will guard your heart. You will be slow to just react. You will be slow to just say and speak. You will be slow to just type send on that email. You will take a moment and say, Lord, is this you or me? Because what God intends for each and every word is that it should be a blessing. Oh, I'm down and out. You should be that person saying, no, you are awesome. You should be that voice in that life that says, no, there is hope. You've got potential. Oh, you can change the world. You should be the one saying that God will never leave you, even, even though you feel hopeless. Even though you don't experience him right now and there's no goosebumps, I tell you, God still knows your name. You should be that. A moment, an occasion of blessing. Let me show you the power of words. There was a night where Jesus sat with his followers, his disciples, and he spoke into existence the communion table and the blessing thereof. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. And here we are years and years later, still doing it in remembrance of Jesus and his sacrifice and his price over our sinful tongues, over our sinful words, over our failures, over us being weak. In those moments, the table was spoken into existence by Jesus himself. And he said, listen, do this over and over as far as possible as often as possible because it's my blood broken and my, and my body broken, my blood that flows and covers through his words before it even happened. You see faith and deeds? Yes, my Father in heaven, I will do as you say. And then Jesus spoke in faith the things still yet to come. But his action followed through. Faith and deeds. Therefore, on this day, we stand by this table. On this day, we have the symbol of the wine. We have the symbol of the bread. We have the blood and the body. And in this very day, we can, in remembrance of Christ, say, thank you, Lord. Where I'm weak, you are strong. Where I fail, you succeed. Where I worry, you just come in and solve it. Where I cannot sleep, you give me rest. When I'm thirsty, you show up to feed me and, and give me something to drink. See, God provides daily into your life and mine. God covers you and I. We might have died many years ago because of his great faithfulness and this very table of his love. You and I were saved. We're protected. God provided for more days in your my life. Maybe you shouldn't have been here today. Jesus spoke it into existence. God spoke it into our lives. So I encourage you like James. No way does he give advice that you shoot this and shoot this. He leaves it out on the table like communion. And then like Jesus, he invites in and say, take part and it all will change. Make it yours and everything will shift. Today, I invite you in as we're going to take part of the communion table. Make it yours. Take part. Let it be a part of you and speak life in the moment of taking part in the body and the blood that gives life. Speak it. Before we get there, just throwing it out there. 
Maybe it's time that you speak to the things in your life. Maybe it's time that some of you literally say emotions, that emotion, leave. Get behind me, Satan. Maybe it's time that you speak to your mindset and you go like, change. Yaku, change. 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 Maybe it's time that you speak into those moments and you change. So, Father, I pray over this table. Jesus, thank you for your perfect sacrifice. Thank you that we are bought with a price. Thank you for your body that was broken in your blood that covers. Thank you that it is ours when we partake in it in this day. Father, I pray that you will set free. I pray that life will fill every heart and moment. I pray that hearts will speak to the enemy in this day and say no more. I pray that life will be spoken in the futures and the potential and the calling of each and every heart, soul, and body in this house. Let them experience you, Father God. Lord, let it be a sweet meeting place with you in this day. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.